But if we just create an environment that's welcoming, warm, and you kind of ignite their their in, in inquiry, you could possibly break their insecurities and give them opportunities. And these opportunities could be life changing. Welcome to the AIS New South Wales Creating Cohesive Communities podcast series, developed by the Association of Independent Schools, New South Wales. My name is Julia Jembert, and today I am joined by Muhammad Nanu. Muhammad Nanu is an experienced science and HSC biology teacher, and currently is working as the wellbeing coordinator at Al Sadiq College in Greenacre. Throughout his tenure, he has taught all stages and has made significant contributions to the transformation of the school's wellbeing framework. Notable achievements of Muhammad's include the introduction of a culturally relevant house system based on intercultural understanding capabilities, the implementation of a vertical streamed mentoring system, and creating a family-like setting, all aimed at fostering a sense of belonging and support among the students. In addition to his coordination duties, Muhammad has also taken the initiative to develop programs that are specifically designed to empower students, encouraging them to explore their interests, develop their strengths and embrace their individuality. Join us as we discuss the value of teachers supporting diversity and enhancing student belonging, learning and well-being. Before we begin, we would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the lands and airways in which we are meeting and broadcasting today as we share our learning. We also pay respect to elders both past and present, as it is their knowledge and experiences that holds the key to the success of our future generations. Hi, Mohammed, and welcome to our Creating Cohesive Communities podcast. It's just amazing that you're here with us today. Welcome. Thank you, Julia. Thank you for having me today. Um, I really appreciate this opportunity to share my story with the audience, and I hope my stories today resonate with them. Absolutely. Let's just get into it. Can you tell us a bit about your role at Al Sadiq College? Yeah, sure. Um, so. I've been at the school for seven years. Um, I started my career there just being a, a regular science teacher. Actually, before that, I was um, I was just doing some casual work. I was teaching a bit of Arabic, a bit of religion, um, a bit of um, PE, a bit of history, everything. So I was just more more of a casual teacher there. And then and then that, then this opened up for my my permanency, um, and I applied for the science teaching role. And then with that came my senior biology teaching role. So I've been doing that for seven years. I've been there for seven years, my science teaching um, in particular. But then for the past five and a half years, I've actually transitioned into a well, well-being role. Um, I've, I've started off with a stage four coordinator, then stage five and stage six. I've, I've had, we've, we've revamped the whole system, um, including head of house. And, and we've, I've been involved in like the creation of uh, culturally relevant house houses in our school where we have pride in the ethos, but also we kind of fuse that with the Australian values um, and the norms of society. Um, and I'll, I had a big role in that. And, and in particular, I, I've, I've written the framework um, that supported that, that big idea, um, which, is, which is based upon the vertical system, the family settings, and the, the building of identity for the kids. So that, that's my background. Um, it's been quite, quite 
colorful and um, full on, especially in the well-being related stuff. But my my teaching in general has been quite exciting there. Oh, amazing. I just, um, it's just amazing to hear the diversity of experiences and how you're now where you are at. So that actually makes me think if we can just take a few steps back, why teaching? What made you decide to become a teacher? See, that that question for me is very easy to answer because a passionate teacher always knows the moment where they wanted to become a teacher. Um, For me, my journey started in year 10. So I was in year 10 um, at my local public. I, I was a, I was in the public school at the time. Um, and I was I was a musician. So I was I, I was the head of Arabic band there. Um, we used to play some Arabic music for our school. We used to perform. So the music teacher at the time gave me the opportunity to organize the orientation sessions for the sixes coming into A sevens for the following year. And, and what, what my role was to organize um, films with background music, teach the kids about Arabic scales, about English scales. They include minor and major and quarter tones in Arabic. But more importantly, he gave me the freedom to create and uh, deliver the content that I, that I found very, very fun and enjoyable. So that moment made me think. I was like, okay, man, this feels good. I went home the next few days. I was like, this little experience where I'd spend the whole day teaching you sixes from different schools. It gave me this like amazing feeling. And then as the years went, as the years went by, I went to year 12, I got my HSC results. I met with my mentor and it, that moment was quite crucial because I was either going to go towards a medical science type of um, career or a, or a teaching degree. Um, and I feel like that moment in year 10 triggered my decision um, who, from, the, from the discussion that I had with my mentor to go towards the teaching path because I felt so good. And then the feelings that I get right now are very similar to the ones that I had in year 10. And that's why I really love teaching and, and, and I continue, continue, continue to do so with so much enthusiasm um, every day that I do, do so. What a powerful and incredible process to be part of, to actually experience and then to be able to instill that now as part of the role that you took. That's amazing. So, Muhammad, why is teaching such a vital role in today's multicultural and diverse world? Okay, so first thing I want to clarify from my perspective is teaching isn't always teaching a topic. I'm a science teacher. I'm a biology teacher. But that's not my only job. I like to refer to us as educators rather than teachers because we, we are teaching a whole bunch of things and we are educating kids about a lot of things, in particular what we're good at, our domains in particular. Like me, I'm a scientist, but in particular, my domain is biology. Hence, I need to share that with the kids. So what, I'm, what I want to now talk about is a very important thing about kids and, and their backgrounds. Now, this is me coming from my well-being experience because I've kind of had experience across all the stages. I've seen the different parts of a student's development and they, they kind of shift quite rapidly. Um, and, but there's one thing in common for all of those, those stages is not every kid is the same. There's not, there's no two kids that I've taught or I've dealt with on the, on the well-being in my well-being role that have had the same story, and that's important to know as a teacher. So, 
the key thing is the key factors that affect students um, from different cultures and different backgrounds is starts off at home. So a lot of the time, parents, um, students have parents who are working. Uh, they come from broken families. They come, they, they, they probably speak a, a second language, uh, English as a second language. So there's so many factors that kind of influence a kid's men, mental or, or um, cognitive development. So imagine, imagine a kid coming with a problem um, and then and their dad's at working, mum's working, mortgage repayments are coming. Right now we have a cost of living crisis. Everyone's struggling. But in particular, from my experiences is that the more pressure there is in society, the more disconnect there is with parents and their, their kids because all the parents are worrying about is just putting the food on the table. So where do we come in as teachers? Well, we spend a lot of time with them. We spend a lot of time with them and we have some very meaningful conversations with them. Now, some of the time kids ask me about careers, they ask me about that, um, jobs in the world of science, medicine, whatever it is. And the way I can respond to them is through like infecting them with my passion and also guiding them. Um, but with that, sometimes kids kind of open up to us. They kind of tell us things. They kind of tell us about their worries, their, their concerns. They probably tell us about things that they, 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 um, they're experiencing with their, their friends. There could be well-being matters that you might need to refer to the heads of house or the well-being coordinators in your schools. Um, and, and therefore, if, we, if we're just helping them just, just grow, um, when we're helping them stabilize their thoughts and we're helping them with the, the career guidance from our domains, that's very important. Now, the second thing I wanted to talk about, especially with migrant parents and, and or students have parents who've come from overseas, a lot, a lot of the time when these migrations occur, the main reason why they come to Australia is because they want their kids to have a better life than they had from, in, in, from their previous countries. So a lot of the time they come from third world countries, developing countries, or even war-torn countries. And their parents in those countries are just working as laborers, they're farmers, they're just struggling just to put very minimal like food on the table. And when they come to Australia, they want this better life for their kids. And what we could do is help the parents by giving them some comfort in, guide, in guiding their, 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 their children um, to a certain path that would benefit them. And therefore, their efforts migrating to this country would be like better off for them. And, and, and yeah, that's, that's my answer to that question. <laughs> really quite amazing. You've touched upon so many important aspects about student well-being and how important the relationship is between a teacher and a student and considering they're part of a ecosystem and that everybody's story is different and to be able to honor that thank you so on that note what would be three key events that have influenced your approach to educating today's in today's modern classroom Okay, so the three events that I've had kind of have different themes. Um, so the first one is when I first started my career um, in outside of college, I had a very supportive head of department. She gave me that freedom to to teach the way I I teach. Um, she didn't really micromanage me. It was it was a lot of freedom for me to create resources, to modify programs, to explore different ways of teaching. Um, and apply them to those kids. And 
sometimes I took really, really hard class. I'm talking about that students who couldn't really read and write in year 10. And trying to teach a topic like Newton's laws or um, genetic mutations to kids who couldn't read and write was kind of a nightmare in someone else's perspectives. But the fact that I was given the freedom to explore and trial and error what was working for me and helping those kids um, originated from my very supportive head of the department. One key moment, one key moment in that class was I looked at the kids and I was like, okay, we're learning about enzymes um, and these kids aren't getting it. So I thought about their, their, their backgrounds and saying, okay, what if I teach them in a way that they can relate to? So if they have you know, a piece of bread and, and a piece of like, like meat, or, or in Arabic, it's called kafta, if you, if you know what that is, um, if you're listening. Um, and if you wrap it around, what you've done is you created the Lebanese sandwich, which has kind of changed, but you stayed the same. And that's what enzymes are. So you've mixed two molecules together, and then you've kind of remained unchanged. When I gave them that very real example, um, the kids understood it. And when they answered the question that in, in, the, in the exam, they actually wrote that example, which is quite was, was not appropriate, but at least they wrote something because they understood it. These are kids who couldn't read and write properly. But in saying that, that was a big moment and my head of department kind of praised me so much and, and, and the roles of lead, leaders in the, in the school are very crucial in the way we think as teachers. Um, second, my second big experience was um, that head of department actually left um, our school and the school was going through a transition of new principals and I was left with no head of department. This was my first full-time job after university. So I had no head of department. I had to be very resilient. So what I did though, is I started to problem solve. These are the things that we do at university. We learn how to problem solve. Um, and I started managing the, the, the assessments, the programs, and just having chats with parents and getting to know them a bit better. It was very difficult, but it was, it was probably the most meaningful part of my, my time at the school because it gave me that confidence to just get things done. Um, and my principal at the time was very supportive. But a big way of doing that is I kind of reconnected with my head of department who was working at a Christian school and I'm working at an Islamic school. And we, we kind of programmed our new syllabus, the biology syllabus at the time in 2017. We programmed our, 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 um, our sessions together and we organized our excursions together. So we got the Christian students and the Muslim students going together on the same experience and doing the same assessment, but, but it's kind of um, different in a way where our students had different classes, but they were doing the same thing. And that experience kind of made me think about our students in the school and the other students who come, they were, even though they were at the, on the beach doing the same experiment, they were still very distant from each other. The whole purpose of this was them to mingle with each other, learn about each other, share the science. But I still noticed that they were almost trapped in a bubble from both sides of, of um, from both from both schools. And as the years went by, we, I started to like look at this, and every single time I look at a student, saying, "Okay, there's a big, big problem here because." They're only used to what they see in the, the walls of the school, in the gates of the school, wherever, what school that is. So that, that gave me the inspiration to do my next thing, um, my next part of, um, of my school's journey. So 
I was actually rewarded as a stage four coordinator after that. And as the years went by, um, I was offered a publishing publishing role in with Oxford University Press. Now, this is a very reputable company. I mean, this is my third or fourth year of full-time teaching. And then all of a sudden, I'm, I'm asked to write some resources uh, for this company. Um, and for me, this is what well, was hum- humongous. Like, I still can't believe that it happened. Uh, but from this experience that I learned, and the experiences that I've had in the past, I started to, to, to create resources for our school. Actually, I wrote the program. It's called the Journey to Light program for, for the school, um, which kind of embeds my, the, the, the virtues and values of the faith and the ethos with the scenarios of Australian society. And I just want the kids to just practice their faith, which is probably universal to every religion out there. But I want them just to apply, apply it to just Australian society where we've got to be patient in times where, uh, when times are tough or you have to have respect for everyone, respect for the environment. But I just backed that up with, with, the, with the ethos of the school and what the religious resources say. Um, and that was pretty big for me because I did start to see a change in the behavior of the kids. And they always used to refer back to the lessons that I created. But all this wouldn't have been possible with the timeline um, that, that, that occurred in, in, my, in my seven years at the school. So, so yeah, that, that's, that's my answer to that question. It's amazing. What an incredible journey. <laughs> and there's some really uh, complicated concepts. And what I can hear from that journey is that you with such heart and passion synthesized it and made it possible to convey so your students could grow and learn no matter where they're at yeah but also maintain their identity so so we're we're trying to grow and maintain their identity um but also um fit into society yeah yeah and provide those pockets to amplify you know the hope and understanding you know and and building that sense of belonging yes and, yes and then that feeds into all areas of learning uh, it's it's really tricky and it's such a an amazing balance that you have created and it has been validated through all those experiences and examples you just gave thank you so much so from your experience as a teacher, what are the most effective approaches to build cohesive and inclusive classroom spaces? Okay, so my first um, approach is to always remain objective. Our students, as I said before, are, are always there's no two students that are the same, and they always have different stories. So their behaviors can be driven by many factors. These can, and a lot of these are unseen. So some of these could be influenced by the communities that, that they live in. Um, I'm not talking about religious communities. I'm talking about the actual areas that they live in, um, where those areas could be filled with, with unethical behavior or antisocial behavior. Um, and, and that could be driving some a, a kid's mind. They could be from large families. They could have economic pressures. They could, and hence, if they do act, if they do act up, you need to see like what's going on here. Because if you're objective and you're looking at every kid differently, you're probably seeing a change in behavior as possibly a call for help instead of a student acting up or mucking their mucking up. 
Um, so kids already struggle with their development um, in their in their growth. So when they when they're kids going from year seven to year ten, they have different stages, and you'll probably notice that when kids go to year seven, they're like these little kids. But then in year eight, they're very different, and then year nine, they're even more different. That's because they they are going through their physical um, and developmental and cognitive uh, progressions. And, and all these hormones affecting them and their brain kind of shifting as all the mental shifts, they're already doing it tough as is. Um, and when they have these extra pressures that I mentioned before, you need to say, you need to kind of guide the kids. You need to say, okay, what's going on? How can I assist with this kid's well-being um, in, in, and, and assist them? And then my, my second part of the answer is, as a teacher delivering content, I think the key key to this is finding culturally responsive real-world examples. Every kid loves real-world examples, don't get me wrong, but some kids still don't respond to the ones that you're familiar with, and sometimes you need to do a little bit more research and connect with the kids in a different way. So you probably need to understand their backgrounds, their the way that they think, the way that what they're exposed to, even their music, their food, the, the cultural traditions, and then try to apply those, the understanding of those factors to the content that you're teaching. And by that, I've had a lot of success doing that. And, and like I said in the previous answer, um, where I, I, I kind of related the enzymes to a sandwich, um, but that sandwich is specific to their culture. And that made a big impact on, on students learning in my classes. Absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing, just keeping it relevant and real and providing also um, the opportunity to actually do and learn. And as we're saying before, synthesizing those very complicated concepts to actually be accessible and real for your student cohort and communities. It's so important for learning outcomes and well-being outcomes, and they are enmeshed. Uh, Muhammad, what impact does labeling students in a classroom have on classroom well-being and learning outcomes? Okay, so labeling students can actually have a very devastating impact on the way students learn and also the way they interact in the wider community. So if we label them, they can, they can form their own perceptions of isolation. And unfortunately, we could be influencing an us versus them type of mentality by doing that. So in schools, I think it's very important for us to create environments that are welcoming. You know, our classroom shouldn't be like uncomfortable for them. We should create a very comfortable environment for them to uh, express their ideas without any fear of judgment. And at the beginning, that might be hard because, like I said, some kids might be acting up. But, but like I said, we just need to remain objective, as I said before. Um, but if we just create an environment that's welcoming, warm, and you kind of ignite their, their in, in inquiry, um, you could possibly break their insecurities and give them opportunities. And these opportunities could be life-changing. So to, to summarize, if we do label the kids, they, they might shut down and, and, and the, it could be unrepairable um, at certain parts of the schooling journey. Yeah. Yeah. 
I love that idea of you know keeping and and maintaining a, a classroom of, of of warmth and welcoming and providing those ongoing opportunities. And it's something that's a um, a process that we do together, and it's and it's an ongoing process as well. I'm loving this idea about these opportunities, these pockets of opportunities for students. So that kind of um, talks to the next question. I want you to think about a time in in your wonderful classrooms um, of an inspirational moment that you've had with a student or student participation. Okay, so I did have one key moment, um, which for I, for my own uh, career progression was was very uh, crucial. So I was teaching a nine class of mixed abilities. So there were there were a few kids who were uh, very high ability. We had mainstream ability kids, and we had also had some very low ability kids. Um, so when I took that class, it was quite challenging, but I I was always trying my hardest to engage them in in learning. So the one lesson that kind of was very inspirational and kind of changed the way I teach forever was I was teaching a topic of the, the topic of electrical conductivity. And I kind of planned an, an activity where it was very student-centered. I asked the kids to go and observe things around the classroom where we could test in the circuit to see if the electricity passes through it. And one of the students who was lower ability, like he was probably in the lowest part of the school's um, grading scores. Um, he went and found a tub of Play-Doh and we connected this, we, we, we put the, the Play-Doh between two alligator clips and we, we had a light to, to kind of detect the, to, to observe the conductivity. So a 12 volt um, current is quite, quite bright. But when we ran the Play-Doh in that, the light was very dim. And for me, like I'm the scientist, I, I looked at that and I was very intrigued at that Play-Doh reduced or restricted the current. So what I then did was I, I connected a voltmeter to it. And then I realized that it went from 12 volts down to seven volts. And, and the student was kind of very engaged in this. Like he was kind of like, oh, what's going on? How did that happen? Look what I found. Even, Miss, even Mr. Nanu, he's, he's like, he's freaking out. Um, and then I just thought that that was a big moment because he was so excited for the next few lessons where Every single time we learn about a current, you'd be like, yep, resistors and, oh, yep, currents. And, yep, our volts, volts are constricted by things like Play-Doh. I'm like, that's pretty, that was pretty good. Um, that student was doing very well. But then, then what happened was I then went on to the next module, electric, elect, um, disease. And I have a very, like, um, strong interest in certain diseases. Um, and one of the diseases that I find a big uh, very interesting is multiple sclerosis. So when I was teaching nerve uh, nerve conductions and 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 I related it to MS as a disease, um, I I got the circuit back and I told uh, the, the student to come back and and connect the circuit. And then what he did was we 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 then demonstrated the circuit and we linked it to the disease of MS. And what we realized was the, the as the Play-Doh slowed down the signal this is what happens in ms with the plaques slow down the signal and limit the movement or the vision or whatever it is in the disease and the fact how we, we related that physics 
to a biology con- uh, topic. And the student was like running, even with the, the MS example, the discovery component of his learning allowed him to really participate for the remainder of the, of the year. So that was kind of big because a low ability student, he didn't really do like, he didn't get 80 or 90% of the exam, but I guarantee you, he, he will never forget that, that lesson because he found something we built upon it and we, and he kept on working towards a, a specific scientific goal. Um, and he also learned that inquiry is important no matter what you're doing in life. And, and that's, that was the breakthrough part of my uh, teaching career where I realized that, that very key moment. Oh my gosh, that was just such a beautiful and profound moment. Thank you so much for sharing and, and providing those amazing, empowering um, moments for your students. It's just so incredible. And that was a, such a beautiful example. Thank you so much for sharing this journey. Um, as you, as this amazing teacher, your amazing students, you really did demonstrate how positive well-being and learning outcomes for your students are really amplified when you provide those pockets of opportunity for student voice when it's harnessed, building that ongoing sense of belonging, involving students and their families understanding that ecosystem in which we all live within and providing those spaces to recognize and build upon the strengths and attributes of your students thank you so much for sharing today thank you so much for giving me this opportunity i really appreciate it thank you for listening to this episode for further information on the ais new south wales community cohesion podcast series and project or any of our guests, please see our show notes.